Welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast and today is a very special episode indeed because not only do I have a fellow Scot on the show, I have the voice of rally himself, Colin Clark. Colin, thank you very much for coming on to the show. You're very welcome, Peter. It's a pleasure to be asked onto your programme. Thank you. I know. And I've, I must say, for those who aren't uh, aware of who, who Colin is, you must go straight onto YouTube, press pause and go straight onto YouTube and type in thoughts from the kitchen table and within five minutes you'll get a very clear idea of what of what Colin's all about. Why don't we start with that, Colin? How did, we'll talk about your rallying journey as a whole in a minute, but tell us about the kitchen table because I have to say that is a highlight when a new, a new kitchen table episode comes up. Yeah, it was a strange one, to be honest with you, Peter. It was uh, one of those situations, it, it came out of a podcast radio program that I started a few years ago, uh, Total Rally it was called, nearly 10 years ago we started Total Rally and uh, for one reason or another it just wasn't going the way I wanted it to go so uh, you know I, I, I binned that concept but I then missed the, you know the great thing about Total Rally was, was the ability to, to give opinion, to voice opinion, thoughts, mm-hmm. views, um, you know or gossip, whatever it might be on, on what was happening in the world of rallying. Uh, and I thought, how can I do this? How can I do this, uh, you know, in a way that maybe people will listen to? I thought, well, I'll just sit and I'll do five minutes at my kitchen table and I'll just give give uh, the rally fans the, the, the opportunity to, to hear my views on a topic. And I can't even remember what the first one was, but I sat down, set up my telephone uh, at my kitchen table to record it. And off I went. I thought, yeah, that'll do five or six minutes. It was 22 minutes long. <laughs> it was a 22-minute monologue. And at that point, I thought, well, I really can't be bothered with editing this down or any of that sort of nonsense. I just put it up and see how it goes. And it, and it went remarkably well, and people listened, and it, it's just grown and grown and grown over the years. It's, it's not a regular thing. When I, people have always said to me, you know, why don't you do these every week or every two weeks? It doesn't really work like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's when I feel that I've got something that I can contribute to, a, a debate, an argument, a topic, a discussion, Mm-hmm. I can add a little bit of value to, and, and that's when I do my kitchen tables. And do you know, at, at times there are 50,000 people watching them now, sitting listening to a monologue. Oh my goodness! From a slightly deranged Scotsman from Dundee. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a bad little effort. <laughs> goodness me! And and so tell us about tell us about your your brief your kind of brief summary of your rallying journey. Of course, mo- most of the people know you from you know the stage end interviews in the WRC and. Um, the kitchen table, but but tell us where it all started and how you got to where you are today. Well, if we talk about where my you know my love of rallying, my passion and involvement for rallying started, it was back in two thousand and two. Back when I was, uh, it was a different life for me to be totally honest with you. I, I worked for a big tobacco company. Um, I was a marketing executive. Uh, I'd been there for seven or eight years, I guess. And, uh, you know, part of my remit was to look after sponsorship and uh, events. Uh, you know, we, we sponsored this in Ledger Festival, a horse racing festival in the north of England. We sponsored a Formula One team. Uh, and then it was Christmas 2001, just before the Christmas break, I got a phone call from our global marketing director, who was a very, very scary Eastern European person. <laughs> and when, when the phone went and someone told you it's, it's Jimmy Rimashevsky, um, you know, goodness me, it was one of those moments. Uh, and he basically said, look, you know, uh, we're back involved with the Subaru World Rally team and, uh, you know, sponsorship deal's been done. Did it last night with David Richards. Uh, make it happen. 
and that was it. And that was it. So I was like, oh, hang on a minute. I don't know an awful lot about rallying. I obviously recognised the, the 555 Subaru World Rally Team yeah. name because we'd sponsored them previously. I hadn't been involved in that initial sponsorship, that really uh, tremendously successful sponsorship in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was it. It was just before Christmas and Monte Carlo was our, was our first event. So we had a month or so just to get things together there. And, and I looked after that sponsorship and it was fantastic. And, and you know, it was at a time that that deal was done within the company that I worked with really to facilitate another deal. It was all part of ProDrive taking over the running of British American Racing. Uh, of course, uh, yes, America. of course. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was all part of that. And, and David Richards was very, very clever and managed to uh, persuade us, maybe the word, I don't know, um, BAT to, to also sponsor his, his rally team again. But, you know, it was it was almost an unwanted sponsorship. It was it was you know, it was something that cost quite a lot of money, but in terms of the Formula One budget, it was nothing. It was nothing. It was like, we're going to sponsor this team, go and do it. But everyone within the company, it was a massive worldwide company, was absolutely fixated. Certainly all the, the marketing sponsorship people fixated with Formula One. Nobody really cared about rallying and I had free reign for, for a couple of years to do what I wanted to do and it was a huge amount of fun and that's how I got into it in the first place I, I then left that job various reasons uh, kind of semi-retired for a bit missed rallying uh, and had the opportunity to get involved in, in, in rally radio and I did probably 13, 14 years of rally radio and absolutely loved every minute of it it was a, it was a fantastic opportunity it was something I never thought I'd do there's a bit of journalistic background in my family but I never thought I'd get involved in anything like that um, but my first event that I did for the radio was Cyprus 2005 and I remember taking my little brother along who's done you know, a little bit of uh, presenting and broadcasting in the past I took him along and said look if I can't do this I'm going to pass the mic to you and you're going to do it um, but the second the first car arrived at that stoplight, it was like, oh, this is this, this is just the greatest thing ever. I loved every <laughs> second of it. Yeah, so it was it was the radio really that got me started, and and, and from there I've gone on to do various things, a bit of television, a lot of radio, a bit of presenting, uh, and just really having a lot of fun and making, you know, uh, what is my passion, uh, my my vocation in life, and it's it's I'm very fortunate, very fortunate in that regard. And was being involved with such an incredible organisation as ProDrive and drivers like Peter Solberg and Tommy Mackinnon and and you know with the the budget at play from a, a tobacco you know was was that was that where it really sort of sparked off was that where that passion began then being involved at that absolutely. level of sport yeah yeah absolutely you know I, I remember sitting at dinner with with uh, two thousand and two I think it was and Peter had just won. His first rally it was Wales Rally GB. Mm-hmm. He'd won his first event, and we had dinner on the Sunday evening. It was team dinner, and I was very fortunate to be sat at the top table. And it was Petter was there, Pernilla was there, Oliver was there wow. in a pushchair. Uh, David Richards was there. Nick Fry was there. He was involved at the time. Who I think Nick Fry's now involved with Mercedes and Formula One. Yeah, he is. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were at the top table. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, I, you know, to be totally honest, I felt like a little bit of a fraud because. You know, what I knew at that point was that the people at my table were the very best in the world at what they did. The very best. Yeah. Any question. Uh-huh. You know, Richards is a remarkable man. David yeah. Richards is a quite remarkable man. Um, Peter Solberg, clearly, best in the world at what he was doing. And then I looked around and, I, and the mechanics were there, the engineers were there, the chefs were there. And I thought, it's not just this top table, it's this whole room is full of 
really the best in the world at what they do. And it was quite humbling. And, and it made me think, you know, how lucky am I? How lucky am I? I I'm just a, you know, a marketing board for a tobacco company. How, how lucky am I to be able to sit amongst these people and to be part of this just quite remarkable journey that they were all on, you know, at that point, which was, you know, uh, taking Petter Solberg the following year to his first world title, his only world title in the World Rally Championship. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was absolutely where, where it all started. And there were different days, you know, in, in those days, you know, I, I, there was money, there was a lot of money. We spent a lot of money on, on various projects that were a lot of fun. Um, and it would be nice if that kind of money was still around in rallying and motorsport. It's not, sadly, and, and it's had to adapt you know, with the loss of tobacco money through every single form of motorsport, you know, they've had to adapt. No one really has stepped forward. Yes, we've had the energy drinks with their big budgets, but no one has come in since the demise of the tobacco companies with the kind of budgets that we had to spend. And, uh, and you know what, you, you could argue that, it's, that motorsport has struggled really since, since those days, but uh, it's not in a bad place. It's really not in a bad place. And I'm just very happy to be part of it all. Yeah, what was the was and when talking about the tobacco money? What was the silliest thing that you saw it with the with and from your perspective in in motorsport? What was the the you think when you thought did was there ever a point where you thought to yourself, "This is just daft." I stood, <laughs> I stood in a car park outside a storage facility, not far from Banbury, and I watched a shredder shred a hundred thousand pounds worth of motorsport jackets we'll call them. I won't give you the brand. Okay. Hundred thousand sure. pounds worth. I watched once as fifty thousand pounds worth of branded lighters were sent to the skip. Oh my god. <laughs> massive money. Massive, massive, massive money. Um you know, just 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 some remark you know, there were reasons and, and, and there were good uh brand reasons I mean you could argue possibly not decent fiscal reasons but there were good brand reasons for, <laughs> for, for what they were doing at the time that it was always justified um, but it, you know you look back and you think you know it was eye-watering amounts of money um, and, and yeah there was some there was some there was some wastage uh, there was some very good investments you know we spent some money on some really good projects and, and a lot of drivers got their opportunities because of tobacco money a lot of yeah. mm -hmm. uh, promotions a lot of television programs remember were backed by um, you know, perhaps, uh, tell, perhaps television money. Uh, sorry, by by tobacco money, not backed as such, but you know, it wouldn't have happened had it not been for the involvement of the tobacco companies. So, yeah, there was there were, there were good days, and and there was there was a lot of kind of head scratching and a lot of oh my god in those days. <laughs> and you you talked about the 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 rally radio there. You and you and Bex Williams, you know, starred in that you know much missed initiative do you think that's a project that could be revived and if so would it be something you would you would dive into again you know I, i've moved on um I, you know i love radio and i i love the immediacy of radio i love i love the responsibility of radio because you know we are we're at times we would have two three hundred thousand listeners for the big rallies and it, it was our job you know we were the fortunate ones who were able to travel the world uh, following the sport that we loved but our job was to take our listeners on a journey with us. And it was quite a responsibility. It was a responsibility I loved. Um, and would I get involved again? Absolutely. But, you know, I, I, I'm having the time of my life right now working with, with Dirtfish.com. Mm -hmm. It just this is the most fantastic project. But I would say that I think 
it is very strange that for whatever reason radio has been dropped because the World Rally Championship really was a great uh, opportunity for radio you know because of the places we go to the action the mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the various uh, there's so many different elements so much color around the World Rally Championship it really was perfect mm-hmm. for radio and and you know I remember when we started radio it was a struggle you know radio was becoming less and less popular uh, because you know not so many people had radios and then all of a sudden there's this explosion in in, in uh, internet usage on your cell phones and, and cell phones and data packages were the savior of radio and then podcasts mm-hmm. appeared about 10 11 years ago and there has never been a better time to be involved in sports audio I you know they're really struggling with television uh, rights and selling television rights uh, but audio rights for, for sports around the world, big sporting events are in huge demand because it, it's so mobile. You, know, you don't have to be sat in front of a screen to watch it. It's in your ear when you're driving your car. For motorsport, it's particularly relevant. Really, radio is the only media that you can consume while your you're manufacturers, your Ford, Citroen, uh, Mitsubishi, as they were in the olden days, you know, anyone that's involved in motorsport, yeah, they, they, their marketing will, 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 will come through the internet. It will be perhaps television-based. But the only actual marketing route that they can, if you like, uh, use within their product is radio and audio. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can yeah, listen to them. Right. You can't read newspapers. You can't read magazines. You can't watch the telly while you're driving a car. You can listen to podcasts. You can listen to audio. And they are fully aware of that. And they're fully aware of the enhanced value of that. And as I say, I am very, very surprised and I'm really surprised and disappointed that this year on on, uh, on the official World Rally Championship app that they have completely dropped the audio service. It wasn't really a radio service, but when, when they dropped the World Rally radio, they then, uh, you know, and it was not ideal, but it was something they offered the audio feed from the all live service. Mm-hmm. Um, Makes total sense to me. That's now gone. That's now gone as well. And you know, it's odd because rallying is a three and a half, four day event at times. No one can sit in front of their telly, their computer for all four days. No one, no one can afford it. People have got lives to lead, but they want to follow their favorite sports. And yeah, they want to catch up on, on WRC all live. Great. Give them the opportunity to catch up. Give them the opportunity to catch one or two stages a day live if they can afford the time. Uh, but also, you have to give them the opportunity to stick their earpods pods in while they're working and listen to it. And, and that opportunity is gone. And to be totally honest with you, I question that. I think it's a very, very poor decision. Um, and I would hope that somehow they could find a way of, of uh, you know, at least as a minimum, bringing back the audio service, which was the audio feed from the, the, the television, the all-live television. But more than that, I, I genuinely believe that there is a place for proper radio again from the World Rally Championship. It was exciting, it was engaging, it was dynamic, uh, it was entertaining, um, and it's gone. And and I think it's a loss. I genuinely think in terms of the whole media marketing mix around the World Rally Championship, I think it's a big loss. Yeah, I I would agree completely. And also to me, from from a... an efficiency point of view and a fiscal point of view. I mean, obviously, the the oil, the all live. If, like you say, if you have the time to consume it, which a minuscule proportion of even the most diehard of rally fans have, the all live service is is really really impressive, and how they can deliver that on su- in in so many different locations around the world is amazing. But 
if you've got that amount of people and technical equipment on site, surely an audio, like you say, even just lifting the audio from the all live service, it, it seems a no brainer to me. You've got people at stage ends. Yeah. You've got people in the service park. You really just need one person pulling it all together. You know, what I found, you know, I, I enjoyed my time working for All Live and, and I was very thankful, you know, when they did abandon the radio service, I was very thankful that at least I had a job working yeah. for All Live. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's one question at the stage end and then you wait three minutes, two, three minutes for the next car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for the first three rounds of 20, whatever it was, uh, 20, 17, I think, wasn't 17, it? 17. Yeah. Uh-huh. First three rounds, we were very seamlessly almost integrating radio with the television so we would we would talk with whoever was hosting whether it was bex or whether it was lisa mm-hmm. um the car would come in you would pause obviously for the tv feed to come across to you you would ask the question for the television another pause back into the analysis for the radio so yeah you're absolutely right there are there are, there are efficiencies there the people are on the ground um there is no real reason other than finding budget for a studio and the studio host no real reason why uh, why we shouldn't be doing it again but but that's that's you know that's out of my control entirely I'm, I'm in a position now where I'm allowed to offer opinion and that's all I'm offering you is my opinion on it mm-hmm. um, but I, I have no influence over it I have uh, no ability sadly to, uh, to to go out and, and get it all up and running again much as I would like to but as I say I am massively enjoying what I'm doing just now with Dirtfish.com. It's a huge opportunity and it's, it's a huge amount of fun. Well, well, tell us about I'm very curious about Dirtfish.com because they've made a huge, a huge, huge impact in the sport and made a lot of noise in the last 12 months in picking up people like yourself and David Evans. I mean, you, you it's, it's still unusual to not see David Evans' name on the pages of Autosport and... MN, but uh, tell us more about the project and what it's all about and what the organisation is trying to achieve in the sport. Yeah, I have to say uh, that, you know, particularly in the past, what, five weeks since Rally Mexico, uh, David Evans has been quite phenomenal Mm -hmm. in his ability to continually, you know, the the danger in this period, there are two dangers for any, any media outlet in this period. One is being too nostalgic. Mm-hmm. And looking back with rose-tinted spectacles at the glory days of the past, <laughs> I interestingly got an email overnight from a promoter of one of the most successful motorsport series in the world, uh, and I was asking him whether we should be doing a few bits and pieces um, because his events have been cancelled, uh, maybe looking back and all the rest, and he said, Colin, these guys are making a massive mistake. He said they're making a huge mistake because what they're showing is how great a lot of these series were. 10, 20 years ago. And the comparison to what the fan is getting now is glaringly obvious. They're not getting what they were getting. Yes. You have to be so careful, you know, in pushing the retro uh, and showing up basically, uh, perhaps, perhaps where you're failing just now. Uh, the other issue is is, is is keeping the quality. You know, if you are mm-hmm. going to keep a reporting service and you are going to stay true to your beliefs and to your standards, Keeping the quality is very, very difficult. And David Evans mm-hmm. has done a remarkable job of keeping relevance, keeping quality, keeping interest uh, on the pages of, of Dirtfish.com. He, he is the most incredible journalist. But yeah, the, the project has been put together in the right way. You know, it's, it's, it's an American company uh, owned by a gentleman who has been really very, very successful in his career and has done everything the right way during his career. He doesn't, doesn't accept anything less than absolutely the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, sets very, very high standards. 
um, and he basically wanted to uh, establish a media outlet for rallying that was independent. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a mouthpiece for, for anyone, for a team, a driver, promoter, an organiser. You know, it had absolute independence and that had uh, journalistic integrity, journalistic standards, um, and, and also was, was very, very much focused on, on the fans and giving rally fans what they wanted. Um, and, you know, they, they got together with, with a couple of people at the end of last year and, uh, and the project basically was, 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 was put into place and, and I was very, very honoured to be asked to be part of it. And, and, yeah, it's a great environment to work in. You know, for me, they've employed me to be me. <laughs> which yeah there's, there's, there's no there's no better there's no better offer to be totally honest uh you know they, they know what they get with me and that's exactly what they want so uh, it's great it's great to be part of a really dynamic team it's great to be part of um such uh you know a, a company that basically does things the right way and it's exciting you know we're, we're, we're in the early days of it obviously nobody planned for the situation we're in just now but you know the situation does present opportunities um, and, and we're trying our best to make the most of those opportunities. And uh, fingers crossed, we'll come out the other side in, in a relatively strong position. So, uh, no, it's, it's exciting. And, and there, are, there are big things to come still. And, and we're looking forward to, to bringing them to the rally fans. It really is all about the rally fans for us. It's about, it's not as I said earlier, it's not about teams. It's not about championships. It's not about promoters. It's not about um, governing bodies. It is about the rally fans. And, and uh, what we try to do is to deliver what rally fans want and i think we're uh, we're getting there with it well that's a, it's, that's a very interesting point you, you make because i think with the in the, the you know obviously the situation we're in right now with coronavirus etc but when we do return to rallying it, it would appear i mean who knows but it would appear that some form of you know spectator list or reduced spectator um rallies in my in my opinion you know the media's role in the wrc is about to become even more critical than it already was um so you know in in your view how did you think is the best way for the wrc media as a whole to go forward and how to tell its story the best yeah you know i think you're right i think there are some very big challenges ahead uh, if we want to go rallying again in the next seven or eight months mm-hmm. uh, you know i think realistically your traditional rallying, where people can go out in the forest and watch rallying, in my view, in in my view, uh, and it's just a view that's formed from, you know, from reading as much as I can, from trying to work out, you know, what spin and what actually might be reality. It's very, very difficult. But in my view, we won't be having any spectator events before the end of the year in this country and I doubt yeah. it in, in, in most of the world to be totally honest with you when I say events I mean any sort of event I mean mm-hmm. uh, soccer, rugby uh, any kind of motorsport you know they just they just won't allow it we're not in a position yet in terms of uh, you know where we're at with this virus to yeah. allow mass gatherings and I, I just don't see it happening I really don't see it happening and, and unless we plan to uh, somehow work out how we run events where we reduce the number of spectators, the concentrations of people in the service park, then we're in a very, very tough situation. And we have to come up with some some suggestions, some plans, some workable solutions. Because, you know, you put forward the plan to run a rally, a traditional rally right now, and I suspect 99% of the uh, governments around the world are going to turn around, and are not around the world, but within rallying, uh, domains are going to turn around and say no you can't do it you can't mm-hmm. do it that way go away and think again we've got plenty of time to think um, 
uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the people at the top are having these discussions and they are working things out. There's not a lot of communication, but you could argue that perhaps they don't have to communicate with us yet. Yeah. Uh, but I'm certainly not really hearing an awful lot of, of alternative plans. You know, I put this question to Richard Milner in a pod, you know, podcast in a video that we did last week with the, the team bosses. You know, should we be looking at perhaps different formats for rallies if we want to run rallies before the end of the year? And he made a very good point. He said, look, you know, we will have to look at different formats, but it has to be rallying. You know, it has to be rallying. Yeah. Because, you know, I talked about maybe running maybe one day rally sprint type events and having those as counting towards the championship. And he said, it has to be rallying. And I get that. I get that. So, you know, maybe if we can't run rallies, then the only thing to do is to wait, is to wait. But you, you're right, you know, and, and, you know, Jan, come January the 1st, we're not going to go back to a completely normal situation. It could be 18 months, two years, it could even be three years, you know. Mm-hmm. They're talking about running Formula One events in, in, in the UK in, in June, July. They're also talking about running a Formula One event in the Netherlands the week before that. Well, as it stands, the UK government are seriously considering a two-week quarantine period for anyone coming into the UK. Mm-hmm. How does that work? You know, all of these factors just make planning so, so difficult right now. And I, and I genuinely don't believe we will see things back to normal. Uh, certainly not uh, for another year, maybe 18 months. That's not to say we won't be rallying for another year eight or 18 months. I don't think that's the situation. But we will have to adapt. We will have to look at ways of running things differently. And to go back to your question, you know, that does mean that the media will have an enhanced role in delivering to the fans what they want. You know, I think sometimes we forget that, you know, if we believe the figures that come out from uh, from from WRC, there are something like 800 million people around the world watch the WRC program. That is a massive audience. Wow. It's a massive audience. <laughs> you know, and we're talking maybe 80,000 people go to Wales Rally GB. So, you know, much as that is a big figure, 80,000 people, it is a very, 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 very small percentage of the people who are interested and who watch Wales Rally GB. Um, so the most important audience for me, and it always has been for rallying, is the global audience. It's the mm-hmm. people that follow it through the internet, through the television, through the radio. And how we then continue to deliver for them a rally product is the challenge. And, and that, you're right, does, does involve the media and perhaps should involve a little more discussion with the media from the rally organisers. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But it is challenging. One other factor that that springs to my mind constantly is, you know, if there weren't already huge pressure on getting these new 2022 World Rally Car or Rally One, I think they're calling it, uh, rules correct. I mean, I mean, this situation that sprung up during that negotiation. I mean, that's going to make these rules even more critical to the future of the sport. Obviously, we know we're going to have hybrid hybrid technology. From your point of view as a former marketeer. What do you think is more important to the manufacturers taking part? Is it promoting the hybrid technology to their consumers or is it as a test bed to develop the hybrid hybrid technology itself? No, listen, that's a very simple question to answer. Hybrid technology is old technology. It's old uh-huh. technology. You know, it's been in it's been in Toyota's for twenty years. Yeah. Um uh, you know, as a marketeer it's a difficult one because you know, as a marketer, number one, you know, post this crisis that we're we're enduring just now, you'll be looking at value for money. You'll yeah. be looking at relevance. Mm-hmm. You'll be looking for how you uh, how you uh, 
you know, how you interact directly with your potential customers. Um, all of those things will, will be front of mind uh, in terms of marketing spend and how, how manufacturers, sponsors will be looking to, to spend their money. So, you know, we have to make sure that we remain relevant. You know, for, for me, rallying has always been about new technology, testing, proving new technology. Are we going far enough? for 2022 would be the question. Mm -hmm. What 2022 does give us, what hybrid does give us, is uh, it gives us a little bit of, if you like, environmental acceptability. Yes. You know, uh -huh. we are doing something. We are going in the right direction. We are looking at it. Um, so it's, it's a justification. Pre-coronavirus, a justification for green credentials would have been enough. Post-coronavirus, is it going to be enough? I think we'll have to wait and see. I think mm. we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I, I firmly hope it is. I really do. But for me, for me, the new regulations, you know, before we, I don't forget, you know, seven or eight weeks ago, no one had any idea of, of what was lying ahead. Yes. This year. Uh -huh. No one had any idea. That's right. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's very difficult to criticize these rules because there was quite a lot of negotiation and discussion went into formulating them. Um, but, but we'll have to wait and see whether whether it's enough. Uh, you know, the, the big hope was that we would bring new manufacturers into the championship, uh, and that they would see the value in in in, uh, in testing, demonstrating the ability that they have to uh, to bring forward new technologies into their cars, and and, and hopefully that will still be the way. You know, I think it's it, you know whatever way it, it, it's a step in the right direction. But the problem is, is it a little mini step? Is it a stride? Is it a leap? Uh, you know, and, and I'm not sure. Well, I, I'm pretty sure I know which one it is. Uh, which one we need, for me, is still the question. I think we need leaps. I don't think we need strides or little steps. Yeah, I think no, you're absolutely right. And for me, it just seems like such a difficult kind of Rubik's cube of a, a puzzle because you're trying to bring down the cost. Because you know, at the moment, we've only got what nine World Rally cars from three marks, all of which the seats are are locked down and we've got a lot of very very capable rally winners sitting with no drive but see the the cost of these cars is obviously out of control but when you introduce it's but obviously it's essential we introduce new propulsion technologies whether that be hybrid or full electric or whatever but of course developing those as we saw at Le Mans with the LMP1 hybrids they just spent it's spent itself into oblivion so I mean I wouldn't want to be the one writing these rules to try and balance all those things together and it's it's interesting to know whether are the manufacturers simply you know are they happy to say this is a hybrid even if the technology underneath is pretty basic to keep the cost down or are they saying no we want to come here as as effectively glorified r d which yeah which do you think does it is it manufacturer dependent as far as that's concerned do you think well i, th I think it has to be manufacturer attractive it's got, they've got they've got to be able to find some way as i mentioned to you know to uh, to justify the spend mm -hmm. you know to justify their involvement in motorsport and and you know is hybrid enough well as i said earlier we'll wait and see you know the cost of the cars is an issue there's absolutely no question about that what's happened with this new generation of World Rally car, it looks and sounds utterly spectacular. Yeah, you know, it looks spectacular sitting still. It looks even more spectacular going around the corner at 125 mile an hour. Mm -hmm. um, but what we've done since 2017 is we've killed privateer rallying at the top level. It's gone. Yes, yes. It's no longer there. It's no longer there. You know, Malcolm Wilson used to sell between 13 and I think it was 17 or 18 World Rally cars a year. Wow. 
I think he sold five in the past three years. Five. So, you know, and it's... <laughs> We're not just talking the cost of the car. The basic cost of the car is one thing. The, the running cost of the car is what makes it prohibitively expensive for privateers. And it's a real shame because, you know, the championship, again, what's, you know, it's not as USP, but it certainly has been something that's been quite unique about this championship is that, yeah, you know, privateers are welcome. Privateers can compete at the highest level and privateers can compete relatively well at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and, and in the past, we've seen the likes of you know, the Abu Dhabi World Rally team with Sheikh Khalid. Uh, we've seen Nasser Latia competing. We've seen Yazid Al Raji. We've seen the Stobarts team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've had a lot. Martin Prokop, his team, we've seen Mads Osberg competing in privateer cars. Uh, the Munches boys from Argentina competing. And, and, you know, these guys were never going to win rallies. Uh, but, you know, but they, 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 they competed well on the stages. They, they added to the drama they added to the attraction of it you know it was a if you like a rally within a rally at times mm-hmm. um and that's gone and that has gone and that for me is actually something that's quite worrying and it's something that should be addressed and these new rules don't address that mm-hmm. yes we've moved away from this real concern about the million euro rally car that would have uh, that would have just been an absolute nonsense you know and they are mm-hmm. talking about single engine for the whole season keeping costs it's around about half a million euros uh, for the car. As I say, the other big, big, big issue is the running costs, and they have to look at that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we, we're 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 not doing anything in these regulations, particularly to re-engage the privateers. Uh, and what we'll find is that the privateers will go off and do other things, uh, and that is a loss to the World Rally Championship. That's for sure. Oh, unquestionably, because it's it's as as I said, you know, that to have you, you've just not got enough seats to encourage that you'll actually I think you'll end up with not only the privateer efforts drying out but also actually talented drivers coming through because if you look at it and you've got nine seats in total it's 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 tricky but I mean how how great a challenge do M Sport face in all this because they've carried the cans so well for so long um with with minimal support compared to the competitors does this just make it even even more difficult for them going forward do you think enormously difficult yeah enormously difficult you know when, when we look at the other two teams in the championship you've got the toyota team run by tommy mackinnon and you've got the hyundai team uh, run by the guys in alzenheim in germany mm-hmm. uh, and they they run on very big budgets and they're effectively full manufacturer teams as you rightly say m sport runs on a fraction of that there is there is support from ford and there's technical support chassis that kind of thing uh, but it amounts to a fraction of mm-hmm. what uh, the other two teams run on. You know, if you, you were, in, were in Mexico a few weeks ago, and, and I remember being quite shocked almost when, when I asked about the number of people that were there from M Sport. And they were running, well, I can't remember how many cars with the R5 cars that they were running. The M Sport themselves, maybe five cars, six cars in Mexico. I can't remember off the top of my head. But there were only 40 people, and that included Jeez. chefs, marketing people. 40 people within that team and, and they, they made things work and they put a competitive car on the stages with 40 people on event it's a phenomenal effort and you, you I personally can't sing the praises loudly enough of Malcolm Wilson he's, yeah. he's done a quite incredible job and as you rightly say he's kept Ford and M Sport in the championship for, for many many years but you know the the basis for 
the business model at M Sport is, is is running cars. They run, they sell them, they run. Yeah. With, with no rallies, they're not selling any, and they're certainly not running any cars. Yeah. So you have to be a little concerned, and you you have to wonder, you know, how how long can M Sport stand this situation for? Uh, but Malcolm is a very very canny operator, and mm. uh, if anyone can make things work during this difficult period in particular for, for the likes of M-Sport, uh, then Malcolm Wilson can make it work because he, he really does. He, he knows the business of motorsport and in particular the business of rallying better than just about anyone else in the world. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's a fair observation to say that, you know, we would be a little concerned, but, uh, but not too concerned. They, they will find a way, I'm sure of that. Yeah, they are such a resourceful outfit. I have the greatest of ad- admiration for them. Let's let's look back. I know we thought we'll, we'll try not to be too retrospective, but it's it's uh, there's one one question I want to to pose. Richard Burns versus Colin McRae. You know, you you came into rallying at kind of at the tail end of their careers. How did you compare them from your experience seeing them at close quarters? Do you know, I'm not even going to go there. Really? I, I okay. Don't, I don't have enough. I just don't have enough experience of, of the McRae and the glory years you know I you're right I, I came in in 2002 and we were very close to signing Richard when when sadly uh, he was taken ill yeah. um, and the, the, the budgets were agreed you know we I think we may even have been at the tobacco company uh, putting a little bit of extra cash into what was already a pretty substantial budget <laughs> um, to bring Burns back to Subaru uh, very different characters both magnificent champions uh, for, for the UK and for British rallying but no I, I'm not even going to offer you an opinion on that I'm sorry it would be it would be unfair of me it's not it's not it's not right I, I didn't know them. I had a couple of really great events that I covered where Colin drove for Skoda yes uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know in 2000 and would that have been oh five with, Sco- with the VRS end, end, it was wasn't it it was the end of five it was Australian GB yeah uh, and then he did remember he did one for Citroen I remember was it Rally Turkey he did with Citroen was it did not stand in for Loeb in the Kronos he car he did he did didn't he yeah he did. Uh-huh. Um, but no I, I you know I, I knew Colin uh, not well at all um, I, I didn't know Richard sadly uh, but uh, you know it, growing up in Scotland you know what it's like Peter you know growing up Colin McRae was was a uh, you know, in Scotland, we, we, we love our sporting superstars because we're a small nation, a bit like the Kiwis and New Zealanders, all the Finns even. Yep. You know, we're a nation of five million people, and when we can produce any kind of world champions, we absolutely laud them, and, and, uh, and they are superstars in Scotland. And McRae was a superstar, no question about that. So, you know, I, I followed his exploits, but I wasn't a massive rally fan at that point. Um, but I felt very honoured to be able to to interview him at stop lines in 2005 and yeah it was great watching what they could do even 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 in 2005 you should have had that podium for oh. Skoda on Rally Australia and it was nothing to do with him it was a problem in the service that cost him a podium there it would have been a glorious way uh, to more or less round out his career it would have been actually I mean my uh, in my this is in the kind of early stages of my sort of fledgling career in in motorsport and actually my I used to read Autosport magazine as a kid I used to love Autosport Thursday and my, my first ever article published there was I wrote quite recently about Colin going to Skoda for those two rounds and going into you know going to Australia but it's just the PR impact what was it like from from your perspective the PR impact that that 
those just those two rallies going what did that do for Skoda as a brand from your perspective yeah you know there's an argument that Colin McRae was the only true global superstar of rallying that we've ever had yeah uh, and you know part of that was his exploits on the stages and people loved what he did and they loved his character the other part of that clearly was the Colin McRae uh, computer game yeah um, that helped massively to build his profile but you know for Skoda it just it was just phenomenal to watch the reaction of the fans to McRae being back uh, you know it did give Skoda some credibility we did go to Australia and he did uh, drive that car just phenomenally well and, and had it not been for that problem in that service he would have taken the podium but the buzz it was just the buzz that followed McRae everywhere he went I, I remember mm-hmm. being at the Scottish Motorsport Show uh, in 2006 I think it was 2006 um in a Metro 6R4 with Colin. Wow. <laughs> and it was quite phenomenal. And, and, and you know, he was just such, you know, he, he was a lad, make no mistake about that. You know, he enjoyed himself. Uh, he went out, he knew how lucky he was to be able to do what he was doing. But he was also quite a shy, quite a humble sort of guy. Um, and, yeah, you know, uh, it was the buzz that followed him. And he was, sometimes he was quite, or it appeared to me anyway, certainly from that time at the Scottish Motorsport Show, he was a little uncomfortable with all of that. He was, wasn't... Yeah. Um, you know, he he kind of thought, well, I just want to go out and drive, you know, and 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 you know, to have thousands of adoring fans screaming at him, maybe maybe didn't sit entirely comfortably, but you know, but that's the sort of guy he was. He, he was was a super bloke, and and obviously both Colin and Richard very very sadly missed by everyone in, in motorsport and in particular in the world of rallying. Yeah, they they are. Let let's talk about some. You talk about superstars. The two most recent superstars, Ogier and Loeb. You know, those are yeah. two guys you've seen at much closer quarters. Tell me who impressed you most and why between the two. That's another difficult question that I have to answer because you know I, I saw nearly all of Loeb's victories and I've seen all of Ogier's victories in the championship. Uh, I, I like Sebastian Ogier personally. I like him as a, as a person and I mm-hmm. absolutely respect him as a driver and a competitor. Um, and that's not to say that I don't like Loeb, I do. You know, very, very different approaches. You know, Loeb obviously won every single one of his rallies and all of his nine titles with Citroën. And it was during a, a decade where Citroën were entirely dominant. And were they entirely dominant because of the budget, because of the resources, uh, or because of the driver? Well, it was a combination. Yeah. A combination of all of those things. And Loeb was entirely dominant. But what Ogier has done, uh, you know, he's taken some gambles in his career He's never been afraid of voicing an opinion, uh, and he's he's fought against some proper adversity. He mm-hmm. went to, you know, he took a year out to go to uh, to go to Volkswagen. Uh, he dominated the stages with Volkswagen, so the FIA changed the rules to try and stop him. They failed, you know, they failed. But that rule change, way back when, I think it was the second year of the Volkswagen involvement, mm-hmm. where the championship leader ran first on the road for the first two days effectively three quarters of the rally because day three is nothing yeah. on modern rallies uh, was solely aimed at stopping Ogier and he still won gravel rallies first <laughs> on the road. it was a phenomenal and, and you know and there was a lot of bad press at the time saying oh he's a whinger he's a moaner no he wasn't and he never has been but what he is he's a competitor and he's a fierce competitor uh, and he's a fierce competitor who who doesn't shirk away from voicing an opinion and you know if you think the rules are being loaded against you then yeah fair play you know speak your mind and he did speak his mind and and 
I thought that was phenomenal. And then he went to, to M Sport, uh, and what a job he did at M Sport there for two years, two more titles. Mm-hmm. He did, uh, you know, we'll forget about next year when we look back on Ogier's career, um, but we shouldn't because he did an incredible job at Citroen last year. That was a very, very, very difficult situation he was in. Yeah. And to you know to win what three rallies, two or three rallies, however many he won last year, uh, and to leave himself in with a chance of winning the title so late on in the season was an incredible effort. Uh, if we do get a world champion this year, my money is on Ogier at Toyota, and to win as many rallies as he had and or as he has done, and to take titles with three different manufacturers for me would just edge it over Loeb in terms of the greatest driver. I think the fact that he's been prepared to go to take the risks. Uh, and to, to prove himself out in the stages for me means that uh, my vote would go for Ogier. But but Ogier Loeb, you're both products of a very, very proactive uh, motorsport association in France, the FFSA, uh, proving that, yeah, you can back drivers and you can find winners. Uh, and that's the way to, to promote sports. You know, rallying is popular in France because of Loeb, because of Ogier. Um, you know, I think maybe in the UK we've missed a little bit of a trick over the years and the you know, we haven't backed drivers from a, from an organisational point of view, um, but the French method proves that it works, and they've had the two greatest drivers, perhaps of all time, that have come out over the past twenty years from that from that FFSA program. I think that they they, they 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 have to be in that that they have to be right at the top of that discussion for the best of all time. No question about it. What what amazes me in the service part right now, um, and it, it probably relates to your point there about the the support from the governing body. You look at how many um, former World Rally winner, World Rally champion offspring there are in the in the service part right now. You know, you got Elvin Evans, son of Gwyndaf. Um, you've got Callie Rovenpera, of course. You've got Oliver Solberg coming in. You know, amongst is it now that you you need that almost that rallying back? You need almost that world champion background to be able to to lay the path to make it to the WRC nowadays. Well, I, I asked that very question yesterday to uh, Miko Hervinen. did an interview with Miko Hervinen yesterday, and I asked him that very question because, you know, it's the three you mentioned there, Elvin Evans. I always forget to throw Elvin into the mix, but you're mm-hmm. quite right to throw Elvin into the mix. Mm-hmm. Elvin, Cali, uh, Oliver. Uh, but then you've got the young Schwartz, so I'm Schwartz's boy. Of course, he's, yes. He's making some inroads. Uh, you've got Max McRae, who is Alistair McRae's son. Yes. Uh, who was involved with us at Dirtfish also beginning to make inroads um you know what is it is it it used to be that money and talent would would give you a chance to to make it in the wrc Mm -hmm. you could now argue it's money talent and opportunity and that opportunity perhaps comes from the name but you know but that but that's that's fairly obvious that that's going to be the case you know the likes of oliver solberg as i say in 2002 he was at that dinner yeah. Yes. Pram at 11 months old, whatever he was. I can't remember how old he was at the time. Yeah. Uh, he has been around world rallying forever. It was inevitable that he was going to go into rallying. And that's the same for uh, for Rovan Perra. Maybe not quite so obvious for the likes of, of, of young McRae or Schwartz. But, you know, but, the, but there is opportunity that, that, their, that their family and their family licks and ties give them. And I, I think it would be a shame if that was. If, if that was the only way you could get into the, the top level of rallying, but I don't think it will be. I, I think there'll still be Ogiers coming through, there'll still be Lobes coming through, who you know, come from backgrounds where you know they, there isn't family money uh, mm-hmm. necessarily, where they, they, they've achieved things at, at the very basic level of rallying, and then they've been spotted early on, 
and they've been nurtured through the different levels of rallying. It, it is very, very difficult. There's no question about that. Money is still a massive factor. Opportunity is now becoming a massive factor in rallying. But you know, there will still be, I think, the, uh, the ability to recognize exceptional talent. Uh, and we'll still see exceptional talent coming through that might not be from from a moneyed background or from a named background. I, I really hope so anyway, because the sport becomes a different sport if we don't have those kind of drivers having at least the opportunity to make it through. And we, we have to say that the likes of Pirelli coming back with their, you know, the Pirelli star driver scheme, remember, gave us Tanak, it gave us, uh, um, it gave us Hayden Padden mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and a number of other drivers. It gave them their break in the World Rally Championship. We will see uh, a reincarnation, if you like, of this, the Pirelli star driver when they're back involved in the World Championship next year. All mm-hmm. of these initiatives, you know, the FIA have got an initiative running now that, that starts with esports. Now, esports is a completely different thing for me, and I'm, I'm, you know, I have concerns about esports, but I can see, I can see what they're doing uh, with esports. The FIA, to, if you like, is the first round, the first couple of rounds of some selection process. But the most important thing there is that there are these schemes that potentially allow raw talent who maybe don't have the opportunity of, of uh, other young drivers to potentially potentially make it into the World Rally Championship. So important we have those sorts of schemes. Absolutely. And do you think that that could come from the kind of manufacturers, you know, you like Hyundai, Toyota, I mean, clearly Toyota in particular, it's coming right, it's a passion project right from the very top of the whole company. You know, is do, do those you know, kind of roots to the WRC, do those roots have to come from the top, from the manufacturers to go down into the junior category? So getting people in cars backed by the manufacturers or do you have to go into the commercial sponsorship to, to fund that, do you reckon? Well, I think it's a combination, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and I think the manufacturers will all argue they're doing their bit. Again, a question that I asked the other week when I had the opportunity to talk to the three team bosses, mm-hmm. you know, should there be potentially a... Uh, you know, an initiative from the FIA that says the third car in the team is is a junior car. Yeah. And, and what they all said was that we're already doing our bit, and they're right. You know, a Toyota are doing their bit. They, they brought Cali Rovinpera through. They gave Especa uh, Lape his opportunity. Takamoto Katsuta. You know, very much a, a product of the Toyota mm-hmm. um, program. Uh, and you look at Hyundai, what they are doing now. You know, they're making R5 cars available, mm-hmm. and they have. Uh, you know, quite a few initiatives running in various markets and various championships around the world to encourage young drivers into their car. And M Sport have always been uh, about encouraging young drivers. So I think they would argue that they are doing their bit uh, within the commercial boundaries of what they have to deliver. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, yeah, there could be there could be other other schemes that, that maybe we could have a look at. But right now, the manufacturers I think would say we're we're doing our bit, and maybe mm-hmm. it's down to. Um, uh, maybe it's down to the FIA to to other other commercial partners to encourage uh, the young driver schemes, and that's what, as I say, we're going to see next year certainly with this Pirelli scheme, this FIA scheme. So, yeah, I think, I, I, things are looking better than they have done for young drivers uh, in in the last few years, anyway. Absolutely, I I think in general the the sport as a whole at the point we look at right now, I think people look back on the last three years or so as a real golden period i mean there's and so many storylines as well i mean like the i i just i just loved watching ogier at m sport and i think it was 
thoroughly. It was great to see M Sport finally get the the just reward that they deserved for the work they put in for decades, to be honest. And these cars are obviously absolutely spectacular machines, and the all live. Uh, although it's there are things to improve with it, you know the the all live is to, to be able to watch a rally live stage by stage is something that I thought would never happen to be honest. Um, yeah. So I think we're we're in a golden period almost right now, but it's keeping that going, I guess. Yeah, that, that that is the challenge, you know. For, for sure, the two thousand and seventeen regulations were an enormous success, and you know that year two thousand and seventeen. You look at ticket sales for the rallies that year, and they were up massively. People wanted to come back out into the forests. Uh, and uh, you know, get out and see these rally cars because they mm-hmm. were so spectacular. The FIA got absolutely bang on, and you know, 2017 we saw I think seven or eight drivers winning rounds of the championship. You know, we didn't have dominance. You know, in in, in the the noughties we had Citroen dominating. We had mm-hmm. then Volkswagen dominating. Uh, you know, 17 was a different year. There was no absolute nailed-on favourite. There was no one car that was miles better, one driver that was miles better. And, mm-hmm. When you have, as you rightly say, stories emerging, uh, you have three drivers going to the final round with a chance of winning the championship. Really, it was just your drivers winning their first rally. It really, mm-hmm. it, it was a great combination. Um, maintaining that is going to be a challenge. It really is going to be a challenge, particularly post your know, corona crisis. Uh, how do we maintain it? How do we, how do we maintain relevance? How do we maintain value for money? How do we offer the spectators what they want? There are lots and lots of questions that need to be answered. You know, we've got this new uh, technical spec for 2022. How is that actually going to to roll out? How is it going to be received by, most importantly, the manufacturers uh, and their accountants, I suspect? Um, so there are challenges ahead, but you know, the, the great thing is that we're, we're going into a difficult period from a relatively strong position. I think yes. a lot of mm-hmm. sports are going into this difficult period, and motorsports, but a lot of sports from a very difficult position, uh, and they are the ones that will struggle to survive. I think because we've come from a strong position where people want to see rallying, people are interested in rallying, people see the relevance of rallying again, then we have every right to be optimistic about the future. I think if we've been going into this crisis in, say, two thousand and 11, 2012. Yeah, not so good. It's going to look, look very bad mm-hmm. and potentially catastrophic. But we have got a good base to defend our sport from. And let's face it, you know, as in business and sport, there's going to be a lot of defending going on. There's going to be a lot of, you know, uh, battles to be fought ahead, you know, really just to survive, just to survive in, in what's going to become a more vicious world. Uh, sporting sporting environment. You know, people will be looking for sponsorship. People will be looking for investments. They'll be looking for value, uh, and we need to be strong in in our offering to be able to fight in that difficult environment. And I think I think we've got a good basis, and we should be able to do that. I agree. I completely agree. Look, focus back on back on you, Colin. I mean, what you've had an amazing career in in rallying in the last ten or fifteen years. What's been in, in the broadcasting side of things? What's been your greatest personal challenge that you've had to overcome to becoming a leading figure in the rallying media and now what you do with with dirt fish and stuff? But in your early days of it, what was the biggest challenge that you knew you had to overcome, and and how did you get over it? Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a few. You know, being yourself is difficult. You know, I, I'm not a trained journalist. I'm not a trained broadcaster. Mm-hmm. I, I just I do what I do. 
Uh, for years, I was told that that wasn't the right way of doing it for television, uh, but that was by people who were working to a, a formula. And, and <laughs> it maybe didn't fit in with their formula, but apparently it does fit in with lots of uh, what other what lots of other people want. Um, but no, you know, it's it, it is you know the, the, the media world is quite a cutthroat world, as as I'm sure you found out over the years, Peter. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's not not easy at times, but but you know, but we're very privileged, and, and I'm certainly not going to sit here and complain about anything. Uh, because I have had a very fortunate time um, in motorsport media. I've managed to establish myself. I've managed to find something I'm uh, pretty good at, which which uh, which is always great. You know, when you you look back and you think, you know, was I actually good at anything? Well, yeah, I can pretty comfortably say I'm I'm good at what I do. Um, personally, challenges. You know, I, I was pretty sick about ten years ago, and and that was that was. Uh, a difficult one to deal with mm-hmm. uh, you know there was a time where I thought I would potentially not get to a stage end again I would not get to a rally again and, and, and that that's quite a sobering thought yes um, but you know but what it does is it refocuses the mind and, and you you accept uh, you know just the good things in life a lot more and you realize that the, the life is is to be lived uh, and, and you know that's what I've tried to do for the past 10 years and that's what I continue to do and what I've been given the opportunity to do at Dirtfish, just to go out and, and live my life uh, and live my passion and uh, make a, a living from it. And it's uh, it's a very privileged position. And, and I, you know, I, I would never take that for granted. I, I never get complacent about that. I know how fortunate I am to be to be in this position. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and I, and I, I'm thankful every day for that. Oh, I can imagine. What a great, the greatest joy to go out and indulge your passion that way. How do you, um, what kind of methods do you use to prepare for your role as a commentator, stage and interviews, that kind of thing? How, how are your best methods to prepare for that? You know, I, I, you know, if I was a commentator commentating on a motorsport race, I would, I would prepare very differently. I'm sure of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a lot of what I do is about my opinion, uh, you know, and, and my opinion, I, I form just by trying to be as informed as I can. You know, I, yes. I read I read what I can from from whatever sources, and, and nowadays a lot of it's social media through Facebook, through Twitter. Uh, you know, I try not to read too many press releases because I, you know, <laughs> press releases for me are, are, are you know, they're, they're not they're not an awful lot of value to me I have to say, <laughs> in terms of forming opinions. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I prepare by just you know, by by trying to be informed. To mm-hmm. be totally honest with you, I think I don't think you can ever read too much. Uh, and, and I, I, I read an awful lot, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, that's how I prepare. I, you know, I've never, never been one for going back through the history books, and maybe I should do. Maybe I should do. I don't know. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't go back and look at the history of races before I go to an event. I'm very lucky, and I've got a really good memory. And you know, being out on the stages for the radio over the years, uh, you know, I, I had to follow absolutely everything that was going on, and, and a lot of the time. I was there when it was happening yes. at the stage ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got a very good memory for that, so I'm, I'm very fortunate in that regard. But, but you know, there's, there's, there's nothing particular that I do, if you like, to prepare for an event. I, I just make sure I, I know where I'm going, I've got my plane tickets, and, and off I go. <laughs> <laughs> and what's been the most memorable stage end interview or moment at stage end in your time, would you say? I think, I think the most memorable was, was Loeb. Uh, I think it was his sixth title. First time we ran Rally de France, in uh, we just moved from Corsica and we were in the Strasbourg area. 
And the final uh, stage was the super special around Hagenau. Hagenau was Loeb's hometown, and and the uh, the rally finished outside the town hall in Hagenau. Wow. It, was, it was where Loeb had grown up, basically, and, and he took his sixth, I think it was his sixth title there, and the crowds were massive. They were absolutely massive. And you know, the noise when he completed that super special and he stood on top of the car. And it was probably the only time that I've seen Loeb in tears, and he was in proper tears, and it was wow. it was just magnificent to be there, just to describe the atmosphere and to see the adulation, to see the respect, to see how much the people of, in particular, that, that region, the Alsace region, adored Sebastian Loeb. Mm-hmm. And then to see his response to that uh, was very, very special. And it, you know, whenever I talk about that, it reminds me of... Uh, Murray Walker, Murray Walker, what, what, what a remarkable what a man he is. Yeah. Uh, I remember watching a documentary and he, he, he said, you know, the greatest privilege in my job is to be able to stand at the shoulder of sporting giants and proclaim their greatness to the world. And that, you know, when you think about that, that's, as a commentator, you know, sporting giants and to tell the world just how great they are. And in a very small way, I felt that that day with the radio broadcast, you know, uh, I, I think the stage may have been live on, uh, wouldn't have been all live, it was pre-all live days, but maybe the, the super special was live uh, on the television, but the radio was really the only live outlet for that. And, mm-hmm. and to be able to uh, to stand there just below that car, as Loeb stood on top of that car with Elena, tears streaming down his face in front of the town hall, the French tricolors flying, the crowd going absolutely wild. I felt that. I felt. I felt the, the honour and the privilege of proclaiming, you know, Loeb's sporting greatness to uh, to the rally world. It was it was wonderful, and that that for sure was 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 quite probably my highlight. I would imagine of my stage ends. That's a that is that's a very special uh, special very special memory to have. Last few before we let you go. What is your favourite rally to to travel to? Would you say? Uh, I've always had a soft spot for Australia. I, mm-hmm. I like Australia. I do quite a bit of work in Australia these days, and I and I love going to Australia. I love the Australian people. I love the Australian culture. Um, you know, the whole the whole working environment in Australia is wonderful, and and Rally Australia has always been very very special. Uh, probably the best run rally in the world in terms of media. You know, we're always exceptionally well looked after out there, mm-hmm. uh, and I just love the kind of spectacle of Rally Australia, whether it was in Perth or. Uh, whatever it might have been in Coffs Harbour, it was just always quite something different. So, yeah, it would either be uh, Australia or Argentina. Uh, and for similar reasons, you know, Argentina, just the, the crowds are phenomenal. The, uh, the countryside is amazing and it's, it's, it's a proper adventure to get there and it's a proper adventure when you are there. So um, always difficult to choose between Australia and Argentina. But if I had to, I would probably say Australia. And because in Argentina, you've got to remember to turn the bedside radio off, of course. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, you've read that story. I have, yes. Yeah, that <laughs> Very was one good. of the more bizarre moments. I kept awake all night by what I thought was music coming from the bar in the hotel. <laughs> For three hours I sat there thinking, just turn the music off. You know, it's time to go to bed. And then uh, discovered after a phone call to reception, there was no one in the bar. The bar had been empty for hours. And yeah, uh, there, was, there was one of these 70s style <laughs> headboard radios that was on. And that was what was keeping me awake. It was, it was very bizarre, very bizarre indeed. <laughs> a long, long journey that was. I can imagine. Last one, if you could have the, the crystal ball, if you could co-drive 
for one driver on one rally in any car, what would you? Who would you choose for that? Oh, it would have to be. It would have to be Colin. I, 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 you know, he would scare the shit out of me. Brave. <laughs> uh, I would choose a very short stage, but yeah, you know, Colin in in one of those Subarus, um, I think would be would be a remarkable, remarkable experience. So, yeah, that would be my choice: a Subaru World Rally car, Colin McRae on. A stage that was no more than five or six kilometres long. <laughs> yeah, that's enough for him to put it on its roof. I am sure it was. Yeah, sure it was. <laughs> it's, it's more than enough for me to, to enjoy the experience. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, Colin, thank you so much for for sparing so much time and coming on to the show. Uh, I wish you very well with the uh, with with the Dirtfish project. I think it's immensely exciting, and fingers crossed we we see some we see some rallying soon. Absolutely, you know I'm very much looking forward to it. We are we are trying to keep ourselves busy in this difficult period, but you're quite right. We want to get back out on the stage. It's been a, it's been a joy talking to you. Thank you very much for, for having me on your podcast. No, great. no, thank thank you. And and how how can people follow you on on social media and YouTube etc. Oh, just uh, look up Voice of Rally and you'll find me or Colin Clark Rally. Uh, you'll find me uh, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Facebook, uh, any of those, and uh, yeah, give me a little follow. That would be very, very much appreciated. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time, Colin, and and all the best. Lovely, thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Bye now.